Lewis Hamilton wins easily in the first ever Qatar Grand Prix to slice Max Verstappen's lead to just eight points with two races to go. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and welcome to round 20 of 22, the Qatar Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race simulator. Download it for free for iOS and Android. The new to F1 LaSalle International Circuit was challenging on setup and reliability, but Mercedes emerged as an early frontrunner after splitting run plans through Friday practice. And with the car in its sweet spot, the Constructors' Championship leader dominated the rest of the weekend. Lewis Hamilton beat Max Verstappen to pole by nearly half a second, and he used his pace to comfortably control the race. Verstappen started a penalised seventh for ignoring yellow flags in qualifying, but took just five laps to recover to second on the road. But he quickly realised his car was no match for Hamilton and he settled for second place with a consolation point for fastest lap. But the battle for third was more lively, with four drivers through the race laying claim to the spot through different strategies. Pierre Gasly, Valtteri Bottas and then Sergio Perez all had a shot, but it was Fernando Alonso on a perfectly judged one-stop strategy who got the job done, taking his first podium finish in seven years. To talk about why Mercedes was so strong in F1's first visit to Qatar, I'm joined by ESPN's Nate Saunders. Nate, welcome back to the Strategy Report. Hey, mate. It's great to be back and good to see you as well. And a great race to talk about. Well, certainly an interesting one. And I'm lucky I feel like we get to say that after almost every race this season. An interesting race in the championship, was it? And first visit to Qatar, obviously. It was a bike track. Now, maybe we could make a claim it's more of a car track because the racing was all right. What did you think of F1's first visit there? It was funny seeing a few of the MotoGP journalists just saying how weird it was for them to see Mm. F1 cars on a track they're obviously used to seeing two-wheel racing on. I quite liked it. I mean, the the drivers certainly enjoyed it, which is always a good barometer for, you know, how physical and how challenging a, a track is. And the fact that on the Sunday, overtaking seemed to be a bit easier than maybe people feared. I think made it a little bit more entertaining because there was a real worry that it was just going to kind of be follow the leader, uh, which I I think it still was <laughs> in a different <laughs> way. Um, but yeah, it, it was quite interesting, and I think we, we've been quite spoiled over this <clears throat> over this period, obviously for 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 bad reasons. But we've had a lot of new circuits join, you know, and Qatar being this circuit being one that kind of came in to fill a gap. And as we saw through the weekend, it creates lots of these unknowns, lots of these variables that teams really go into Sunday really not fully understanding the circuit. And we saw that play out, you know, with a lot of teams in terms of how far they went with tires and stuff like that. Um, and the great thing here was that I know it was a track where you could you could run wide a lot on the on the circuit, but there were a few places where doing that was really detrimental mm-hmm. to your car. Um, and there's always this talk about should there be gravel traps or whatever. There should be punishments for going that far off, whether it should be enough to rip your front suspension <laughs> apart or you give you a puncture <laughs> is another question. But at least it meant that drivers were knew that if they went off at certain points, they were you know they were in trouble. So it was pretty interesting, and I, I think it will be interesting to see that obviously next year Qatar doesn't have this race, and then they're building a facility for twenty twenty three. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that facility, whether they copy what we're going to see in Saudi in two weeks, mm-hmm. which is a street circuit. You know how they how they incorporate some of the things that people liked from this circuit into the new one. Um, but yeah, for for a debut race, I think it was pretty solid. Um, it had a bit of drama. Wasn't you know it definitely wasn't one of the worst races of the year. I think I'd put it you know in the middle in the middle of what's been an amazing year anyway. So it'd be hard to beat some of the races we've had. But yeah, it was pretty fun. What what did you think? Yeah, I thought it delivered unexpectedly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, as you say, it was not let's say a, cl- a classic from the season. Yeah, but it was. It sort of had a little bit for everyone, I suppose. It gave us enough to to get an interesting race. And I do think any race that has two stops in it, not to boil it down to two 
stop strategies or whatever, not to boil it all down to strategies, but it does mean there's a lot more thinking involved for the teams and drivers when you know you have to find extra spaces to stop, manage your pace more, do all that kind of stuff. So I think that also helped. And it did seem like no one had a great grasp of the track, but Mercedes' advantage at this track and in Brazil, but let's talk about this track in particular, was was sort of unexpected. I mean, I came to this track expecting it to be a little bit more in Red Bull's favour, or at least much more sort of even. It just seemed like that kind of circuit. Ended up being much more front-limited than or than anyone expected, I guess. That plays into Mercedes' hands, the way the car works. It's better at protecting the front tyres and the rear tyres, and it worked out pretty well. And the track conditions were pretty cool in Qatar as well, more than I, I guess you'd expect in the desert. I haven't been to the desert very much, <laughs> but that's what I would have expected anyway. It Does it... Does Mercedes seem as surprised as almost everyone else is how much they suddenly seem to have held this advantage? Because Brazil and Qatar are not that similar circuits. They have been, for most of the season, kind of only thereabouts. Only very few circuits have we rocked up to where they've had such a commanding advantage. And most of them, to be honest, were way back at the start of the year when everyone were finding their feet. Where does this advantage seem to be coming from? Or is it just a matter of... He did, like you said, just sort of unlocking things at the right time by coincidence, if you like. It's a, it's a really good question because <clears throat> in Brazil, it seemed like it was top speed. You know, mm. it was it was everything with you know with um, the setup with the engine, and that was what Red Bull kind of had in their heads. That's kind of the root of a lot of their suspicions is mm-hmm. that you know where is this coming from? Especially as we kind of there's the narrative has formed that most of these, these teams have now tapered off upgrades for this year and are focusing on next year. Obviously, if you're in a title fight, you you, you can't do that 100. percent yeah, it, it seems that the, the interesting thing with Toto Wolff's comments is he's very pragmatic in, in how he approaches talking to the media. I remember mm. in Austin and in Mexico, he was saying, you know, things can turn around. We're not writing anything off. We could be stronger at the next race. And I just thought, I was like, okay, that's just a guy trying not to put any pressure on there. But when you look back now, there did seem to be underlying there a confidence that, you know, these, these races we're finishing the season with really do suit us. Um, and I think I think a lot of things have happened. I think that they they learned some harsh lessons in Austin and Mexico, especially, which were, you know, I know, um, you know, Lewis finished second in those races, but Max, you know, really was pretty impressive at those at those races, and they felt that they couldn't really compete with Max. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I think a lot of things come together, and Mercedes are very very good at um, being very very honest with themselves when they have bad races, and I think that that contributes a lot to when they get things right, like they did in Qatar. Um, but it is it's interesting as well because Qatar. Given everything we saw about the season, you're absolutely right. I thought Red Bull would be right in the fight in this one. And it just seemed, this to me was the most kind of like 2014 Mercedes weekend we've seen this yeah. season, where Mercedes were just kind of, they weren't that dominant. Like 2014, they were way ahead. But do you know what I mean? Like it was just like, wow, Mercedes are way ahead here. Mm-hmm. Mercedes, it wasn't even like there was a threat. And it's it's been a long time since, well, maybe last year there were, there were cases of this as well. Um, but yeah, it just, it was it was very uncharacteristic of this year. So I can see why that's got into Red Bull's heads. And um, I think that's the root of a lot of these comments that we've seen, a lot of these protests and suspicions that Red Bull have had. And just one more point before we get on to the race. And this did have a material impact on the race in a couple of different ways. But penalties after qualifying, yellow flags, Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas, five places and three places respectively. Uh, that it worked out to seventh and sixth on the grid after some thinking time, after a lot of thinking time, actually, uh, by the stewards. This is what set Christian Horner off the last thing <laughs> where he sort of had a, had a crack at the marshals and uh, he got slapped on the wrist as you mentioned there I, there are a couple of things here one I guess something we don't have to talk about too much but I am curious because it's been it's been a trend the last two races that it took quite a while for the decisions to be arrived at 
uh, 20 hours, I think, almost for the yellow flag situation to be decided, which yellow flags seem pretty open and shut. And of course, Christian Horner, his argument was that it wasn't fair because there were only some flags showing, the lights didn't seem to be showing, the, the cockpit lights didn't be seem, seem to be showing. Did he have a case there? Was there a reason? I mean, we understand why he was so angry, but did he have a cause to be quite as angry other than the fact that Max Verstappen was starting seventh? So when I first saw that and I first saw the, the clip of Max going through, I did feel, I, 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 was, I thought they'd been really hard done by because the lights on the, you know, to the left of the circuit weren't showing the yellows. A lot of people were talking about the lights on the right on the main street, but that's actually the light for the Weybridge in the pit lane. So Max wouldn't have been able to see that from inside the car and it's irrelevant to his driving. But as the stewards, if you, the, the stewards did take a long time on that decision and I'm, I'm baffled by how they keep taking this long to make these decisions because Brazil was yeah. the same. I don't know if, I don't know if they've got a new bit of legislation where they're like, let's take as long as we can just to really amp up the drama for Netflix. I don't know. It might be for anyone. Who knows? Um, but if you actually read their finding, it was actually pretty comprehensive on, on Max um, in explaining why he got that penalty. And, you know, the steward was waving those flags because they could see Gasly's car slowing in front of them. So they were doing exactly as they're trained to do. You had this car with a puncture and, um, you know, I, I think had some damage uh, externally as well to the car. Um, clearly had, was clearly stopping on track or in the, in the process of stopping. So that marshal, looking over, waves the flags. And the big controversial point was that the electronic marshalling system wasn't cor- corresponding to what they said. The stewards pointed out that Max should have seen that car and known that he should take evasive action and lift off. And the, I think the key bit of evidence in there is actually Carlos Sainz. So Carlos Sainz came round, I think, before Bottas. Um, or just, sorry, Yeah, it was, it was around the same time. There was the three guys that went and were summoned for, on Sunday. Sainz still went blazing down the, the main straight like the other guys did. But the difference with him was once he passed uh, Gasly and noticed that Gasly's car was in the situation it was, he lifted off. And so his argument would have been, look, I didn't, I didn't see any of the yellow flags, but as soon as I saw him, I eased off because I thought, well, that must be a yellow. And Max didn't do that. And, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, he should have done it. But given that this isn't the first time Max has done that, you know, he did that in Mexico in 2019. And then he just admitted it afterwards, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't ease off. And you think, like, you're leading the championship. I, I, he wasn't significantly up on the lap. Like, I don't, I, it, he probably didn't know what Bottas was doing either, but... It just seemed it seemed like a moment where maybe he was too focused on the session, and I don't know. Um, but the, on on whether it was harsh or not, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I think the stewards are put in a difficult situation whenever that happens because clearly this the, you know it, it's difficult to coordinate all of that. You know, a, a steward waves a flag, does it correspond with what's showing up on screens, etc. But as soon as you start giving leeway for yellow flag infringements you really open up a can of worms in terms of what you're doing going forward. We've, we've seen that to a, to a different degree with uh, wheel-to-wheel racing on track. As soon as you make a ruling in one direction, you open up a grey area, which we now see hasn't been addressed. You know, and that goes back several seasons, I think. That's fine to do if it's on-track racing, I think, because you know, it, it, part of it comes down to a principle. But when it's yellow flags and it's safety, you can't, you can't mess around with it. And that's what they made. They made that clear in the, in the, in the findings. So... It was a shame, but I think it was it was an error, really, in 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 F one because Verstappen should should know what the rules are, um, and yeah, it just seemed, yeah, it seemed that I think Horner took a lot of the attention away from the weekend, but it was a tiny error from Verstappen. But again, one I don't think he makes three weeks ago when he's comfortably leading, leading the championship, knows he's got the quickest car. You know, Mercedes aren't showing this great pace, so I feel like. 
that might be me reading too much into it as a journalist. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it yeah, it, it it was it was a very avoidable error, and the fact that the fact that science went through that same place and lifted. Horner made the point. He said, "Oh, science only lifted like you know just before the line," and the steward said, "Well, yeah, but he he lift he still showed mm-hmm. once he recognised the situation, he showed that he recognised that was a dangerous situation, and he lifted off." So um, yeah, I th- I th- I think Red Bull were obviously upset with how that went and they probably felt that maybe they had a chance at turn one to get past Lewis I don't know um and and maybe do something in the race but yeah it um I think it just added to all their frustration Saturday must have been a pretty stressful day (laughs) for 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 Christian Horner and Red Bull because I think things kind of got away from them quite a bit yeah it does seem like that certainly the effect didn't last that long in the race because Sapin had a great start he was up to second after only a couple of laps (laughs) so in that sense we I mean it's surprising we even need to talk about it but it also had this effect in terms of Valtteri Bottas was that he dropped him down the order and crucially eventually onto the dirty side of the grid which did seem a little bit costly for those who were starting there and also just had a bad start, I guess we can probably say, given that is a little bit in vogue for Valtteri, I think it's fair to say. I think he, I'm not sure if he thought he had to serve another grid penalty off the start <laughs> as well, but he, he dropped a few more places, didn't he? He just wanted, he really felt like he deserved the punishment, and so he yeah. wanted to make sure it was comprehensive. He was a real glutton for punishment, he was like, look, give me more, give me more of this. And as a result, look, Valtteri, uh, Max got up to second place and was able to see how much pace he had. In the end, it wasn't really enough to contend with Lewis Hamilton in terms of the the race for victory, that was fundamentally it done. All Lewis Hamilton had to do was cover Verstappen's pit stops. They were well within the margin for error in terms of tyre life, and the race was Lewis Hamilton's. But we had this funny postscript, which was the battle for fastest lap, and mm. not ordinarily we would have to talk about this, but considering how close the championship is, this could be a very important point. And you couldn't help but think that had Valtteri Bottas either not been penalised or had a better start... A driver in third place would perhaps have prevented Lewis Hamilton from losing that point for fastest lap. I guess we can say that actually, over the course of the season, you know, the second drivers have played only so much of a role, sometimes quite significant, but I think on balance, not that much. Max and Lewis have been so far ahead. But the closer it gets to, let's say, zero in Abu Dhabi, do you think the second drivers are going to have start to cause to feel pressure on almost on behalf of their teammates? Because, I mean, and the constructors' title is very much alive as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I can see a situation where in Abu Dhabi, you've got Max and Lewis fighting out in front, but you've also got like Mercedes play, Mercedes and Red Bull playing around with Perez and Bottas' strategy about, well, one of these guys got to get the fastest lap, like mm-hmm. pit them for softs late on and they just, and, and whoever gets this, it, it, it might not be the drivers' championship on the line, but it might be the constructors, you know, which... When the fastest lap rule came out, I thought, oh, I thought this is a bit funny. You know, it seems like a, a, a pointless thing to, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> it wasn't a pointless thing. <laughs> um, but in, in, a, in a championship like this, it does add such a fascinating element to it because you're right. At the end of that race, the funny thing was it was Verstappen that got it. It wasn't mm-hmm. Perez, you know, getting it to steal it from Lewis. It was actually Verstappen, given the position he was in, given the gap he had to Alonso. And the interesting thing with Perez and Bottas is, We've seen glimpses from both of them this season where they've done very well, and, and Perez has obviously, you know, maybe had the stronger. He's been stronger this half of the season, even though he won in Baku. He's been stronger recently, but I actually don't think those two guys are performing at the level that their teams need them to 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 really factor in. Because if you look at that, if you look at that race, Perez was in was still trying to get up to third position mm-hmm. uh, in the race, so the Red Bull couldn't afford to pit him out of position to go for a fastest lap at the end. They were lucky that they could do it with, with Max. Bottas was super unlucky, and I think they retired the car to save the engine, save the car after getting the puncture and the damage they got. But 
those two guys, I think, will play a key role. But the, the key thing is going to be is that those those guys being in the fight for third. You know, they can't be they can't be down the order because as soon as you're out of that fight for third, you can't risk one of them. You can't pit one of them for for softs or whatever at the end because mm. they might be in a fight for fifth or for, for sixth. So that's going to be interesting as well. And I think that it would be amazing if the championship came down to who had the stronger second driver because at the start of the season that was very much a narrative, wasn't it? That yeah. Red Bull finally had this strong second driver who could win the title for Max, or not win the title for Max, but certainly help him win it. And we've seen glimpses of it, but it hasn't been, they haven't been that strong comparatively to their teammates. And I think that speaks a lot about how good Hamilton and Verstappen are, that they're making two pretty good drivers look fairly ordinary, I think it's fair to say, mm-hmm. through the season. Like, like I said, they've had their ups and their downs. They've both won a race. But yeah, that's going to be a fascinating part of this run-in. And um, I don't think it's been getting enough attention because... You know, Saudi's going to be going to be interesting, for example, because again, new circuit. But at the end of that race, you know, there's going to be some games played about the fastest lap. And then, do we get a point where, you know, one tick like uh, on a street circuit, especially like Saudi, like if you hit traffic, you've ruined your mm-hmm. chance of fastest lap. So there could be certain drivers that get pointed at by Red Bull or Mercedes, like that person cost us the fastest lap or whatever. So just another element of this ridiculous season that we've got, um, which which all adds to it. It's all it's all been amazing. Um, it's, it's that's the hardest thing to call. But calling the races at this point seems easier than calling who, who, who can take the fastest lap because that is just purely down to like the script of the race, isn't mm-hmm. it? And who is where? And we saw that perfectly on Sunday because um, I wouldn't have called Verstappen getting it. You know, I, I would have thought that if Verstappen had pitted, Lewis might have pitted as well. Um, but the, the, the but the Perez and Alonso, oh, sorry, Perez and Bottas were the were the two main candidates to get that. So yeah, interesting how that went. And that point, I think, for Max is going to be that could be the most important point he gets this season because um, if someone else gets the fastest point in Saudi and Lewis wins it, Max still leads the title by one, uh, the championship by one point. And um, given that he's won more races than Lewis on count back, that becomes very important if they end up level at the end of the season. So we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, fascinating kind of sub subplot, as you said. The permutations of points are probably boggling, which is weird because there are so few points in it, but it is somehow more complicated when it is so close. So the strategy for the top two was pretty straightforward in the end. It was a two-stop race, but the, the battle for that third place was actually really interesting, and several drivers at several points in this race had claimed to it. Let's start with Bottas and let's just get him out of the way, because despite having such a poor start, and even for the first, let's say, 10 laps, not really looking all that hot. Sergio Perez was making great progress. And Toto Wolff, as he seems inclined to do from from recently in particular, got on the radio and told him to hurry up, essentially. And I guess that kind of worked because he did start overtaking cars. But he was on track for a, a one-stop race from the medium straight onto the hard. Lap 33, he was still out on that one stop when his front left tyre failed, the first tyre failure of this race. And that became a little bit of a theme for the Grand Prix. But 33 laps, the the understanding with Pirelli was that the medium tie should have run for 30. And they were already saying before the race that this is not a one-stop race. It can't be done. It could not be done, Nate. <laughs> and yet several drivers did do it. But still, 30 laps was the limit. There didn't seem to be a need for Bottas to still be out on lap 33. He had a gap over Fernando Alonso. He, did, he wasn't clear to Perez, but Perez was on a two-stop at the time, so it would have been clear by the end of the race. What happened here with Mercedes? Was it just a matter of being a little bit too greedy or taking their eye off the ball and fundamentally losing a lot of points i think it's a bit of that and i think what mario zola from pirelli said after the race was interesting he said that a lot of teams plan that race out as if overtaking was going to be really difficult Mm -hmm. and that you were going to gain places in the pit stops and as as i said as we've both said and as we saw 
overtaking was actually not easy, but it was a lot. There was a lot more opportunity to overtake at that turn one than I think the teams thought there might be, and you could kind of see that in in the way the strategy played out. And I think that because Valtteri had that bad start as well, it seemed like the most logical way of jumping a lot of cars without having to actually pass them on track. Um, and you're right; it's strange with with Bottas because you know he's a very likable human being, um, but as a driver, it's just so frustrating because you see these these moments over and over again and. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I want to like I want to root for the guy. You know, but it's just he's he's had the best car of you know of all time in F one, and he more often than not is under driving it. It seems, um, you know, over uh, more so the last couple of seasons in terms of the car comment I just made. But yeah, I think the funny thing with that is is that thirty three laps on the hard tire would have been would have been fairly brit like would have been like not pushing the limits of that tire, but that would have been. I would have been like, oh, that makes sense. And and the, the guys that were on the hard tire at the end of the race were on a similar stint and they were really struggling on that tire. Yeah. So to do that much on the medium, on a circuit where, as we've talked about already, like there's a lot of places you can get cuts to the tire, you can run a little bit wide and you can damage the tire, uh, uh, as we saw a few drivers do. It did just seem to be needlessly risky. But I wonder if that was a kind of circumstance of where Bottas had found himself in. Um, and the fact that, I mean, Perez had stopped on lap 19, so mm. it was clearly doing a two-stop. And I think that that probably meant at that point, Mercedes, they're purely with Bottas, they're purely looking at Perez and they're purely looking at P3. And I think that to beat Perez, that's the the way they thought they could do it. And, you know, Bottas, to his credit, had started making ground after Wolf gave him the hurry up. So he had been kind of getting up the order. And I think if you look at how it might have played out, it should have probably elevated him above Perez. Maybe he would have been um, vulnerable to Perez at the end of the race, but um, I think Mercedes were willing to take that take that risk um but yeah the the puncture obviously just completely knocked him out of contention um but yeah it i always find it funny when teams will go longer on a tire than pirelli say and then afterwards like, how did this happen yeah. you know it's like that me it's like that yeah. meme of the guy shooting someone and goes how did this happen yeah. you know uh, and, it, and it's like it's like you know pirelli don't just make those they don't just make those numbers up for the for the sake of it mm-hmm. um you know that i think that i think sonoda sorry no, uh, no sonoda did about did about 26 laps Mazepin did 31 yeah. and pitted and, and after the race said his tyres were basically on the verge of going. So, you know, it th- that was a long way over what Pirelli said and what a lot of other over a lot of over what a lot of other drivers did. So it was a surprising one because Mercedes out in front with Hamilton's strategy were very safe. Mm-hmm. Verstappen pitted, they pitted. Verstappen pitted again, they pitted. Like there was none Lewis wanted to stay out and they were like, no, like we'll just cover him off. You said at the top they had mm-hmm. pace in hand and then some. But with Bottas, yeah, they kind of went the other way and I think maybe just kind of threw caution into the wind a little bit. And in this case, in the Constructors' Championship, it had quite a big quite a big, quite a big impact because they obviously lost out on some points there. It is interesting as well, isn't it, with Pirelli, not only in terms of them setting limits, but it, it is almost like a trope of their predictions to be a little bit conservative yeah. because it's all based on Friday data and inevitably teams make huge gains between Friday and Sunday, especially at a new track. But inversely this weekend, and it did turn out the one stop was... I guess just about the faster one. I mean, if you look in the battle of the midfield, Alonso won the midfield battle with a one-stop strategy. But it seems like the teams almost overestimated their own abilities in this race because so many of them did encounter troubles. And yes, maybe that is because of the 
nature of the track made them more prone to punctures or whatever, but the, the you know the stats will show there were several punctures in this race. So that was Bothouse's battle for third anyway, gone by the wayside. Let's touch on Pierre Gasly here for a second because it seemed like before the race I would have certainly put my money on him finishing at the head of the midfield. He's been in such good mm. form. Was great in qualifying despite ending it on the crashed on the pit straight, which is, you know, I guess that's dramatic at least. He didn't seem to have the pace for a lot of this race, in fact. I mean, he was overtaken by Fernando Alonso on the first lap with a great move by Alonso, in fact, and then sort of just sunk down the order and it ended up with him being stuck behind Sebastian Vettel because he was on a two-stop race, having chosen to qualify on the soft tyre to lock in a two-stop race as early as Saturday and then just couldn't pass Vettel, who was on a one-stop. So even strategically, it was pretty not sharp. Alpha Tauri, it was a weird turn for them in this race to be so uncompetitive. Is this just another situation of it being a weird track and not everyone being to grips with it or was it just a poor strategy it's a really interesting one i was i was reading about i was reading what gasly said after the race in sunoda and he was uh he was rapid all weekend gasly mm. you know in all the practice sessions he was right up there and as you say i agreed with you i i, I was sure he was going to be you know comfortably best of the rest whatever position that ended up being and yeah in the race they just disappeared i mean off the start i thought maybe he could get lewis into turn one but lewis made a great start and then yeah it was just like, you know, Gasly was like a stone dropping down the order. Yeah. He just really disappeared. And after the race, he was pretty pretty shocked. You know, he said he said the pace was shocking. No idea what happened. They did come in quite early, didn't they? They, mm-hmm. I think it was lap 13 for Gasly, according to Pirelli's very helpful uh, graph in front of me. Um, and it did seem, at, at the time, that seemed, that was earlier than anyone else was running in the top 10. And it, it seemed, I, I, and I'm pretty sure he came out in traffic as well, from, from what I recall. He mm-hmm. came out and he was kind of stuck behind a few cars that hadn't pitted and that's always the death knell for strategy is if if you put yourself onto a fresher tire and you end up behind someone else who's yet to pit you you've kind of shot yourself in the foot so i think there was part of that but to be honest on the race they just didn't seem to have the pace there which was really surprising because over one lap in practice they really did and uh, that's that in itself is baffling and the fact that you know uh, sonoda qualified a lot lower down than um than pierre did but he also just didn't have the pace either. And I think for Alpha Tauri going into that weekend, I know that they were very confident in the race that they could do something really strong. So very strange one. And um, I hope that this isn't a sign of things to come for them in the last two races because Gasly especially, I think, deserves you know a, a pretty strong car to finish the season with. Um, and he's been, I think he's been one of the standout performers. I don't know if, if, if you've got a top three yet of the, of the year in your head, but I think he would definitely be in there for me as kind of a wild card entry just because he's been so solid in what's been mm. a fairly unremarkable car for the most part it's been it's been good enough to be quick at a lot of places but he seems to have overperformed in it so f- to see him struggling so badly i think now we've got to the point with gasly where we expect such good performances from him when he does that badly you're like well that car must be there must be something wrong with the car he didn't seem that critical of the strategy he actually said that they tried something different on strategy because they realized the pace was just not there mm-hmm. um, and i think that that shows just how desperate a situation it was that within 13 laps they suddenly decided all right this isn't going the way we we want it let's do something different um but yeah he went on the medium tire um and then another medium tire. you know it was just never a strategy that was going to get them um a strong finish and to finish outside the top 10 was was yeah. nuts, given that he started on the front row. Yeah, really painful result for him. He said he could have made as many stops as he liked, wouldn't have gotten anywhere. And I wonder whether that crash contributed to it. But then I guess on the other hand, Sonoda's pace was not much better and he did not crash. So <laughs> a little bit of a mystery and be interesting to see if they discover it before Saudi. And finally, the final note on this, of course, was Sergio Perez, mm. who for a long time in, I guess, the, the last third of this race, 
seemed almost certain to be able to snatch third off Alonso. Alonso was conserving that last set of tyres. Perez was on a two-stop, so he was much faster in that last part of the race. Couldn't get it done. I guess the virtual safety car did not help his cause by neutralising the race for a couple of laps. But I thought it was interesting he said after the race that they originally were going to go for a one-stop. They seem to still be thinking about a one-stop, even despite that early first stop you mentioned on lap 19. And then when they started seeing tyres exploding, they decided, well, actually, maybe we better go for a two-stop, make that second stop. I, I just found that interesting, considering that Max Max's race was over very early on. They didn't really have that much to think about for his race, likewise Lewis, in the sense of, of Bottas's strategy. It feels like, and we see this from time to time, don't we, Certain, certainly the bigger teams, that sometimes the second driver is just kind of forgotten a little bit i was just a bit surprised there wasn't more considering how much was on the line a little bit more direction for perez's race uh, and as a result they missed the podium yeah I've, I've been trying to work this one out and i think in hindsight red bull probably did the right thing in pitting him when they did for the second time because you saw what happened to the williams drivers norris had a puncture as well when he pitted and perez would i mean he pitted on lap 19 russell pitted on lap 17 mm. for hard tires Russell's hard tire, he got a puncture on lap 49. So if if we're using the same logic there, let's just say for mm-hmm. argument's sake, two laps later, Perez would have got been in a similar situation. There would there would still have been five or six lap, laps left of that race. And even if they, they'd held together, you have the, the, the issue that other people have pitted for better tires and they can pass Perez at the end. And that, given that Bottas was already out of the race as well at this point, I think that it made sense to be that safe and to, and, and to almost... To go against what you said before the race, because ultimately I think they probably thought he was quick enough to get third. And you're right, without that virtual safety car, their projections had him getting it because I think he was two seconds behind Alonso with that at the end. So really, they were unlucky there uh, with that, and it it just made sense to do it. I think the tires became such an issue late on in the race that they would have been kicking themselves if they'd kept him out and they'd had an issue and he'd and you know they'd blown this chance to have the second car finish in the, in the top ten. Um, but yeah, we do almost get to this point. I remember there was a time with Ferrari, wasn't there, mm-hmm. where they, we joked that they only had one strategist <laughs> for one car. <laughs> and um, I think that, yeah, it, it definitely, it seemed like Verstappen's strategy was pretty simple, like yeah. stay out, pit at the end for, for tyres, whatever. Um, yeah, interesting one. And again, Perez, he did make ground at the beginning, but similar similar story to Bottas, I think, just kind of not delivering as well as he could be. And ultimately, is putting himself in these positions because you know ultimately Perez should have been Perez and Bottas should have comfortably been fighting for third on track anyway. Let alone they shouldn't have been fighting from like the lower mid to the upper midfield to get back up there, you know, with the cars they had. So I think that that comes down to it as well. But yeah, I think that Red Bull played it safe uh, with him pitting him again. And to be honest with you, I think that given the way. We saw that race unfold. They probably did the right thing. And as a final note, of course, in this battle, before we wrap this one up, is Fernando, who finished third. He got the third place at the yeah, end. I was going to say, we can't, yeah. forget, can't forget the guy. And, and you know, I, I always love when Fernando Alonso does anything good because he's at pains to tell everyone how great <laughs> a human being and driver he is. Yes. And I'd missed, I'd missed just how ridiculous yeah. his quotes are when... And look, for anyone listening, Fernando Alonso is an incredible driver. Mm. You know, he's obviously one of the most talented drivers of the modern era, without a doubt, but... He's the only driver who tries to tell everyone that consistently every time he gets the chance. Um, but it was a great drive. I mean, yeah. great to see him back up there. 
Yes, I mean, and it was such a, as much as several other drivers managed one-stop races with varying degrees of success, his was really well managed. Like, there was no point in the race where it felt like it was going to get away from him. He was obviously conserving quite a bit at the end, but it's not as if we saw a massive drop-off. He obviously kept himself pretty cool. Also, we got that glimpse we do see of, of, let's say, the greater drivers who can tell where their teammates are on track and directing the race from the cockpit, something he's clearly very capable of doing. This wasn't a win, of course, and he was at pains to say that afterwards and also told us that he had many other wins and we should think more about the other wins that he's won in his career. But of all the, let's say, comeback results, this was a very Alonso way to to deliver one of them. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, when Ocon won earlier in the year, Alonso was at pains to say that, you know, his <laughs> his great driving, his great defense of Lewis had, had been the reason why. And again, I think he, he was probably justified in saying that, yeah. but it was just the way he kind of said it afterwards that was funny. I think you're completely right about the way he managed this. I mean, he was so aggressive at the start. I mean, at one point when you, you mentioned Max made a great start, Alonso almost put him in the wall, yeah. um, not 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 doing anything outrageous, but just by defending position. And Max did the right thing and just kind of bailed out of the move. But yeah, he was really good at the start. Good move on Gasly. And we've come to expect that from Fernando. You know, he thought he said, didn't he, after the race, mm-hmm. he said, I thought I could lead into turn one. It wouldn't have lasted very long because, you know, Mercedes was on a different planet, but that would have been great just to see him lead for for a little bit, you know, see him at the top of the timing screens. But yeah, I think this was this was one of those complete performances. I remember back in the day when he was at Ferrari, you know, in his in his second stint there, we always talked about Alonso's the most complete driver on the grid, didn't we? You know, it, it was it was he's not always going to be the quickest guy. He's not always going to be the you know the guy who is on pole, but he will be the most solid driver, and he will do everything very well. And when you put all that together, it makes an incredibly quick driver. And he seemed to manage, I mean, you know, he, they didn't really do anything crazy on strategy. He pitched on lap 23 and then went to the end. And clearly at the end of the race, he was clinging on with the tires. But he also had the benefit that for a lot of that stint, he was, there wasn't really anyone he was fighting with on position. So it was a, you know, for a guy that good and a guy that smart on the racetrack, I think that makes it a lot easier. And he's obviously, this is where somebody was, I saw a tweet saying this is where his, his WEC experience would have come into, into play quite a lot is just consistently driving, mm-hmm. you know, over and over again and just and just managing everything that's going on. That's why he was so good when he when he drove at WEC. I, I did Le Mans when he did that, and the sports car writers there were like, this guy's like a natural at this. And I was like, I think he's just a natural at driving. You know, I think he's just very, very good. And yeah, you're right. I think the vir- without the virtual safety car, Perez would have been up there probably. But again, I'm, I, I think it was nice for the season that we got Alonso on the podium because – you know, there, there's this joke going around, isn't there, about El Plan, which is his <laughs> his big his big plan to come back to be world champion. Um, but it's nice that we, we we get that, and it show. You know, Alpine have Alpine have been a funny one to to kind of gauge this year because they've been up and down. Some races they've just been nowhere. They've obviously won a race. They've obviously now got a podium, and there's been real. I think a few teams actually in the midfield have shown real steps forward. And now the big question is, which of these teams is going to capitalize on the next, next year and keep moving forward, and which of them are going to we always get it when there's a rule change, don't you? You get one team or two teams that really just did not do it, just did not get the memo <laughs> correct and just went down the order. And for Alonso's sake, and, and for Ocon's sake, but mainly you know, for Alonso, given the talent he has, I hope they're not in that camp. Because I think performances like this, you just remember, you're like, man, if this guy had, even if he had like a McLaren this year, mm-hmm. if he was still at that team, I wonder what he could have been doing. We've seen what Norris has been doing, a fantastic job. And obviously Ricardo won in Monza, but you think like, man, if Alonso had been in that car with the talent he has, and performances like he had on Sunday, I think McLaren could have had some really strong results, even stronger results than they've had this year. So, yeah, it was good to see him back up there. And um, I've added a few of his quotes already to my favorite Alonso <laughs> post-race comments because um, 
he yeah he's 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 very entertaining isn't he yeah. but um no full credit to him i don't want this to sound like i'm <laughs> i'm slagging alonzo off because honestly i you know i'm a massive fan of his talent um but he's yeah he's a he's an entertaining character he is very good value that's the way the qatar grand prix the first ever qatar grand prix in formula one unfolded nate it's been a real pleasure to catch up with you to talk about the qatar grand prix you too mate thank you very much Momentum is a funny thing in F1, if you believe in it at all. Over the course of the triple header, it swung so wildly from Max Verstappen to Lewis Hamilton that it's almost difficult to imagine Verstappen getting the last win he needs to put one hand on the title. Up next is the last weekend off for the year, and you get the sense Red Bull Racing needs it more to regroup, while Mercedes just needs to maintain the rage that served it so well in Brazil and Qatar through to the end of the season. These next few weeks will be fascinating indeed. Thanks very much to Nate Saunders for joining me, and you can hear more from him, including his title prediction, in our final preview episode next week. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy simulator. Download Apex Race Manager for free on iOS and Android devices. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report on your favourite podcast app to ensure you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you next week for a preview of the championship finale in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi.